0: If I'm truly, you know, walking with the Lord and, and prioritizing my family over my work, like God's got it, you know. And I think we know that intellectually, we don't always live that. And so, relinquishing control and learning to be content that uh, there's a, there's a bigger plan out there is is something that I'm that I struggle with and probably always will to some degree. But it's something I just need to be reminded of on a on a continual basis.
1: Are you a follower of Jesus that feels called to expand the kingdom of God through building and growing successful businesses? If that's you, then welcome to the Kingdom Capitalist Show that interviews amazing Christians using their business and money-making abilities to expand God's kingdom all over the globe. I'm your host, Ellis Hammond, and welcome to the show. Welcome back, everybody, to the Kingdom Capitalist Show This is your host again, Ellis Hammond, and just another fabulous, fabulous episode. Really, really excited to kind of introduce our guest to you uh, today. But before we get started, let me just remind you, if you are enjoying this show... Uh, you're 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 taking some value from this. I just want to encourage you to take a minute and leave us a five star review. It really does help when i'm I'm reaching out to guests and they see that we're you know close to a hundred reviews that it just shows credibility and it allows me to bring on really incredible guests like I have today. Um, and I'm really, really excited to kind of share his story. Uh, Dave Neff is going to be our guest for today. He has just an incredible background working with millennials and Gen X. He he started a nonprofit. He's been in the for-profit world. He's worked with the Indiana Pacers. And so, uh, everybody, welcome today uh, to the show. Our guest, Mr. Dave Neff. What's up, Dave? What's going on,
0: Ellis? Thrilled to be on and. Uh it's crazy. I think we connected, what, over LinkedIn, man. So technology these days, we're meeting people from across the country. So thrilled to be on.
1: Listen, man, if people aren't using that LinkedIn tool, they got to get on it. That is what I'm I, I'm a LinkedIn junkie. So connect with us on LinkedIn for sure. Uh, hey, tell, tell our audience where you are at in the world right now.
0: I'm in Indianapolis, Indiana, where there's about five inches of snow outside. We just got, got our first decent snowfall of the year.
1: Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I'm looking at the screen recording. It looks white in the background. So here's here's how I want to start because I haven't told you this yet, but um, I am a loyal, loyal Peyton Manning fan. And one of the first uh, NFL games I ever went to was actually in the old Indian Indianapolis Stadium. So are you a are you a Colts fan? Football. I fan? am.
0: I I love the Colts. You know, I started my career with the Pacers, and so uh, the Pacers and the Colts are the two. The two uh, pro teams here in the city. So for four years, the Pacers were my livelihood. So I, I probably lean that way, but I, <laughs> I support both teams equally for sure.
1: So is there still like a big following? Like is Peyton Manning still kind of the hero of Indianapolis, or has that moved on, or is he the you know the the Dark Knight? How, how would you call him now?
0: <laughs> no, Peyton's revered here. That we've got a statue outside of Lucas Oil Stadium with the Colts play. You know. The, the quarterback situation is a little touchy for the Colts right now. Andrew Luck, <laughs> who's, a, who's a great guy. Uh, yeah. What, what's him.
1: Andrew Luck's reputation is the real question, right? He's <laughs> hey, the, the black you know, sheep.
0: <laughs> I think he did the right thing for, for him and his family. It, it certainly left Colts fans in a little bit of a, a lurch uh, the last preseason game to announce your, your retirement. But Jacoby Brissett stepping up. We've got high hopes. I think Andrew Luck just became a dad, so he's moved on to the next chapter of his life. But ended sooner than we all would have hoped. But
1: yeah, yeah. Well, man, uh, really, really excited for our conversation today. Um, why don't you tell our listeners? Like, I know we're, we're going to get into a bunch of stuff. Um, you know, we're going to talk about kind of the Edge mentoring group that you started. Uh, we're going to talk about you know the impact that. You, as a business owner, and kind of just a business minded person, is having in your city, Uh, and then even how God has kind of now led you out of the nonprofit world and into the for profit world. And so, there's just so much there. And so, um, I I think I really want to start kind of with maybe your background, you know, graduating college, and then uh, where God kind of led you after that, and and how you decided on, you know, business, you know, because you've done both. You've been in the nonprofit, but I know you started in the for profit world. Um kind of after college, where did God lead you and how did all this kind of get started for you?
0: Yeah, Ellis, um great question. I mean I so in college I studied sports administration. So my my degree coming out of school in 07 was, was a bachelor's of science in sports administration. My dream was to work in professional sports. Uh was fortunate to get an opportunity right out of school with the Indiana Pacers, so Pacers Sports and Entertainment. So started there, uh April of oh seven. And had four terrific years there, learned a ton just about business, about people, and left there in the fall of 2011 to take a role with a software company that was growing rapidly here in Central Indiana. Exact Target. It was an email marketing company. Uh, they were a client of mine from the Pacers. I'd sold a suite to them, so that's how I got to know them. And two and a half years later, Exact Target had been sold, had been bought by uh, Salesforce for 2.5 billion, which was exciting for the community here in Indianapolis. But again, just kind of, I just got married and was sensing that, you know, I didn't know if I was going to stay on forever with Salesforce. Loved my time there, worked with some amazing people, but God led me to uh, Edge Mentoring, which is a great story. And I know we'll dig in more, but spent almost six years really as um, the founding employee, the, the founders of is a mentor of mine, his name is Jeff Simmons. He's the CEO of Elanco, which is a Fortune 500 company based, based here in Indianapolis. And so um, through his mentorship, that's really what led me to, to join Edge at the end of, or I guess the beginning of 2014. And then yeah, as you mentioned, just uh, a month and a half ago, uh, made the decision uh, earlier this year, and then, and then kind of a month and a half ago, officially uh, transitioned out of Edge Um, where we've been growing that thing for the last almost six years. And I'm back now in the private sector working for a uh, strategic growth and consulting firm that's doing some really exciting work across the country called Prolific. So that's what I've been up to for the last 12, 13 years and uh, married and and have two young kids, a son and a daughter who are almost four and almost two. So hands are full right now. That's good.
1: I love it, man. I love it. Yes. Uh, Big, big transitions, young family. That's, that's awesome. So let's, I want to dive into, um, to this edge thing, you know, because I know that's how we originally connected your experience with edge mentoring. Um, and, And just for anyone who's maybe not familiar with edge mentoring, essentially, you know, straight from your website, it's a whole life mentoring experience connecting young professionals with seasoned leaders, really building a community of mentoring relationships. What I love about it, it's kind of a whole life discipleship, nonprofit track. And so um, maybe walk us through, you know, you said you were the founding employee. Where was Edge at when you got going? And then where is it at now, you know, now that you're kind of transitioning off? Yeah.
0: Yeah. So so when I started as, as the first employee of Edge back at the beginning of 2014, we had toppled together maybe four or five edge groups and a group consisted of one mentor, typically 40 and older with five or six mentees, typically 22 to 32. So we had some men's groups, some women's groups. The name edge comes from Proverbs 27, 17, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. And So these groups were Mm. virtual in nature. So like we're doing right now, Zoom call um, twice a month for an hour each, your edge group would meet. And you would, you would. It was whole life. You talk through career decisions, personal, personal decisions. You know, relationships, uh, financial decisions, all those things that you're dealing with those first ten years out of school. And it was grounded in a uh, Christian worldview. So we asked our mentors to sign a statement of faith. We did not require that of mentees. But um, from where it was in early 14 with those five, six, half a dozen edge groups to um, now today. Uh, I believe we are the largest, really, truly faith-based, whole life intergenerational mentoring organization in, in the country. There's some other mentoring orgs that have different niches, but um, for professionals, you know, we we grew to about a 1,000 people that have directly been in the EDGE program, so either as a mentor or mentee, um, from 45 states. Uh, so given the virtual nature, you don't have to be in Indy. or are based here, but you can be wherever. And so we've launched about 200 of these EDGE groups. Wow. You know, I think indirectly, our reach certainly is is much broader than that. We started an annual conference called EdgeX. Uh, Think of it as like Global Leadership Summit, but it's just a half day and, uh, you know, probably an an intergenerational focus. But we've done that the last four years. Speakers such as Tony Dungy and Sage Steele and Bob Goff and Mark Batterson, Mitch Daniels, Tamika Ketchings, great roster of folks who who have been in the room physically and, and, and with us at EdgeX, which has always been the first Friday of October. And then we do about a dozen to 15 other events throughout the year at Edge. We had a series of women's events, burst, burst events, which is, would usually be a panel, of three or four thought leaders on a topic, whether it be education, innovation, or brain gain, you know, workforce development. We tried to just um, not just have it be a pure networking event, but really add some value to a panel, and this was a way to bring sort of the edge community together. You know, at edge, we talk about this third space. Uh, third space being and it's not where you go to work, it's not where you go to church, but it's a third space to hmm. engage in these whole life intergenerational relationships with people you might not otherwise meet and people who were part of edge but weren't in your edge group. You know, your edge group was kind of like your home base. Right. But we'd have people come to the events that weren't even in a group. So that, that was a great way for them to kind of kick the tire. Get a sense of our community, and some people never officially joined a group, but they kept coming back to our events. or they'd come to EdgeX every year. So yeah, so we, you know, we had a really exciting growth trajectory the last almost six years. Um, you know, we have great board of directors. We were funded through corporate partners, donors, um, board members, and I was just sensing kind of earlier this year that uh, this might be a of transition just personally. I mean, Edge had been great, but I just turned 35 recently and had uh, kind of been getting the itch to potentially do something back in the private sector. And so um, through some good conversations with my board back in the spring, kind of made that decision and gave them time to go find a successor who's now in place. And, and then I was able to kind of begin my search on what I thought I would like to do next and, and landed at Prolific. So it's been uh, – Been awesome, but you know what I what I would say about Edge is just because I'm not there anymore, I think you know the essence of Edge. You could say what what was Edge's product or what was its service. You know, some people might say, oh, it's the Edge groups. No, it's it's the events, it's the EdgeX. Man, our product was and still is intergenerational, whole life mentoring relationships. And so, when your product is something like relationships, like how do you scale that? Right, everyone wants to talk about scale, and it's like, man. You don't scale relationships because those take time, right? Those take effort, energy, they're messy. But, um, you know, a lot of that DNA of edge is is who I am as well. So I know it'll come, you know, come with me to what I'm doing at Prolific now.
1: So my question, you know, um, the whole life piece you know, your experience and kind of watching that many young people kind of go through this. I mean, this is the Kingdom Capitalist Show. And so we're, you know, we're talking constantly, maybe, and and maybe for many of our listeners, this is the first time that they're kind of beginning to kind of merge the thought of faith and work or faith and entrepreneurship together, you know, so that that idea of kind of whole life discipleship, mentorship, really with the kind of essence or the foundation of faith behind that. Where where did that, like, I guess my question is like the importance of that or the merge of that kind of over your time. How did you really see those things to come together, and what was the power of that in the lives of these you know many young people that came through your program over the last six years?
0: Great question. You know, I think um, all I knew is that when I started my career with the Pacers, you know, here here I am. I I grew up in a very faith-filled home, uh, parents who were Christians who took us to church, and, and so at a young age. Um, you know, accepting Christ as my Savior was, was something that I did. As you get older, you know, you you live it a little bit more. You you, as they say, make your faith your own. Um, and so as you're figuring that out throughout the course of your life, um, all I know is like when I started to enter the business world, I.e. Pacers Sports Entertainment, obviously not everyone shares that worldview, right? And while mm-hmm. I have deep convictions about why i believe what i believe other people have convictions about what they believe and so i think you it's not that you want to tamp down what it is you believe but i would i would tend to find a couple different extremes right there's the people that uh would thump it in your face over your over your head and it was honestly a little not a little a lot off putting to a lot of uh, a lot of folks Because the fact of the matter is we're all human. We're all going to make mistakes. So people that take that approach are generally going to have a fall sooner or later. And then there's the people that you would never know anything was different about them. Like they they kind of hide their faith that they're a closet Christian, so to speak. And I know I didn't want to be that, right? I think we're called to be salt and light in whatever vocation we're called into. But I just found, man, the more real that I could be, the more human that I could be, with coworkers, with customers, employees, um, people are drawn to that. And, you know, it's not always in in a gospel conversation. Oftentimes it doesn't, uh, in, a gospel conversation, but I think over the course of time, as you, as you hopefully set a a consistent example, it leads to some pretty interesting conversations and people asking why you do the things you do, or, you know, why'd you go to that, that trip and that missions trip in Haiti or Kenya or whatever, whatever it is, or, why do you go to church every Sunday? So, I mm-hmm. just I just tried to find people that I think were living it, especially were were examples professionally that I wanted to model myself after, who uh, I also knew probably had some walk with walk with Christ and see kind of how they did it differently and and weren't kind of one of those two extremes that I just laid out.
1: What was the starting point for like the mentorship program? Because I think a lot of people, you know, are, are... I'm sure there's a lot of young listeners on this on this podcast in our audience. And so kinda as in that program, you know, the whole life type of mentorship, you know, kind of early in your career, what was the starting point for most people or how did you help people kind of think about a starting point or a launching pad? Were there like was this a curriculum or questions or kind of what what you know what I mean? Like
0: Yeah, so I think the starting point for Edge, so we had an application that on edgementoring.org that people would go fill out. Um, but, you know, the, the first exercise once you were placed in your edge group was, was called a lifeline exercise. And so the mentor would typically share his or hers first and take a few calls, but the mentees would each share theirs. And the lifeline is simply kind of the highs and lows of your life, not just facts, but, you know, kind of those life-shaping experiences. And so we had kind of pulled together um, curated, I guess, curriculum, some exercises like that, some articles that would help relationally sort of grease the skids. But the essence of Edge, again, was I think about the trust and the relationship between mentor and mentees versus the curriculum, a hard and fast curriculum where every group was going through the same thing in week six versus week eight. And um, so I think we're the we're the podcast generation, right? Anything that we want, and I say that because we're saving a podcast right now, Anything we want, we can go find. You know, it's on demand, whether it's YouTube or a podcast. So I think what millennials are really craving is more so like relationships. Like I want to I wanna know actual people who have walked this path before me or have experienced success and are real people versus just watching a video on YouTube or listening to a podcast. And those are great. and can be very inspirational. But it's a whole different thing when you get around people that have actually lived it.
1: Yeah, no, that's so huge. I mean it's it's part of and I know most of our audience knows this, like we have a mastermind group as a you know, within Kingdom Capitalists and that's the whole idea of of really being around like minded people, right? It's the uh, we really need that. We crave that. And there's so much of like we can kind of do business in silos, especially as entrepreneurs. But the real power is in when we really come together and not just in our business, but in our faith. And so I love, um, I love that you're doing that or the edge. You know, you really build a nonprofit to do that for millennials because, um, gosh, it's so easy, you know, to, to really start out, especially, you know, when, when you really need the most support, right, to really start out in a silo. And so to really uh to really have help like that is so huge um, yeah that
0: was that that was the number one thing we'd always hear at edge is why are you applying to edge it wasn't oh i want a mentor it was community you know and i think uh, that was well documented in our strategic plan we did a year and a half ago about um what are the you know millennials are lonelier than senior citizens um so that the most which is which is crazy right we're so digitally connected, but we're lonelier than, than the oldest generation that's alive right now. Mm. Um, they're, so they're, they're disengaged from community. They're disengaged spiritually. You know, Of millennials who grew up in the church, I think it was like 11% staying engaged with the church immediately after college. So there's a, a large cross-section that's, that's leaving the church. So they're spiritually disengaged. And then the third one was that millennials are, are professionally disengaged. So while most millennials mm. have jobs, uh, over two thirds are actively or passively looking for a new job, which is costing you know employers a lot of money. So those three disengagements are kind of were like validating when we did that strategic plan that wow we are we are meeting a need here you know for for yeah. this generation.
1: what do you think what was the separator like over the course of your years? I mean the and I don't know if you saw trends in just the the students that or the i say the students, but the you know young professionals you were mentoring the the separator that would maybe um I don't know for someone to really become truly successful or truly begin to thrive both in their business, their life, their faith. Was there anything uh, worth noting that really served as like a separator that might be helpful for our listeners? Things that they might focus on or practice or do?
0: Yeah, that's a great question. I don't know if I have the answer, but I'd say trends that I've that I've picked up on in terms of people I've been around, both up close and even at a distance, is. Man, I think discipline is a huge differentiator. I think it's Mm -hmm. the future, the future differentiator. When I look at young people who um, are disciplined with how they spend their time and their energy, that just starts to compound five years from now, 10 years from now, from those who are probably more reactive with what life throws at them. And so I think this discipline in all areas of life, physically, professionally, even even emotionally, if you can be disciplined emotionally, um, I think it's a huge, intellectually, I think it's a huge uh, differentiator. And then I think just um, you know people that have a, have a degree of thoughtfulness and um, intentionality with how they live their life. Um, I, you know, I read a book 10 years ago called Never Eat Alone with Keith Ferrazzi. And it was not, not a Christian book by any means, but it's all about how do you build success one relationship at a time? And I think um, relationships are what drive the world. They're what drive business. You know, they're arguably what, obviously drive, um, you know, our, our personal walks with, with Christ. And so, I, when you invest intentionally in relationships, um, compound interest. What do they call it? The eighth eighth wonder of the world. And so i'm even seeing the fruits of that at 35 right relationships that were started 10 years ago that i'm still kind of investing in and people are investing in me and it's like man that's what that's what makes life abundant and rich is the people that you've either worked with or gotten to know you know in your city your community or even remotely like this like we haven't met face to face uh, in person ellis but through technology like linkedin which leads to a podcast so I think discipline and and people that, again, kind of have a a degree of thoughtfulness and and intentionality with how they live their lives. Because I think we have more agency than we realize, more personal agency to um, create and to make things happen. Certainly God's sovereign, and so he's going to allow things to happen that might cause pain and suffering in our lives at times. Usually he's trying to teach us something, but um, we have a lot more personal agency create and do things. I know you know that through what you're doing with this podcast and your business, your website. And so, um, yeah, so those are just a few thoughts.
1: No, that's so huge. Like, you know, for example, um, to give some context to that, you know, I've been on LinkedIn for a long time really I mean I say a long time really very intentionally for the last year kind of building my network and building my relationships and putting out good content and really trying to kind of organically build relationships with people and I've been going to conferences and I've been going on podcasts and all of this you know it's like I mean I have the goal to kind of build this credibility or build these relationships And and I'll tell you how that paid off like I was for this mastermind I had a phone call with someone and they asked me hey what else should I be what else should I know in the sense before I kind of join this mastermind and pay you know and really invest the the money to be a part of this membership And I said well you don't really know a whole lot about me <laughs> right like you haven't really asked a whole lot of questions about me yet and they said no Ellis I, I feel like I know you very well you know I listen to your podcast I see you on LinkedIn you know all, we kind of communicated back and forth digitally and so why because I've you know I've over the last year very intentionally like you said it even though it wasn't face-to-face with these people um, you know, I've intentionally showed up and engaged with people, and 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 that really goes a long ways. And so, um, it's not just consuming social media, but how do you really use social media uh, to really invest in relationships?
0: What you're hitting on there, Ellis, is uh, trust capital. Right? There's all sorts of capital: uh, kingdom capitalists, and I think financial capital is probably what a lot of people first think of. There's social capital, political capital, right? All, all these different forms. I think trust capital, you know, people are joining your masterminds, use that example, because they trust you, right? Maybe they maybe they don't mm-hmm. know you that well, but you've been consistent in terms of what you've built your online presence out to be, their phone calls, all of their interactions with you. There's been a degree of consistency, which I think builds trust. So trust capital is big for me and, and something that um, if you don't have trust, you can't, you can't do very much. So,
1: yeah, that's huge. Um, last question about uh, the Edge uh, group is, um, you know, you've got, you got you kind of mentioned some of these names you've got to rub shoulders with or, or experience through your you know uh, through your journey with them. Tony Dungy, Bob Goff, Sage Steele. W- what are some takeaways from from those leaders? I mean, those are all uh, at least I know Tony and, and Bob to be men of of great faith. Um, what have you learned from from mentors like that?
0: People like that are humans just like you and I. And so I've always just tried to treat them as I would treat you. And I think it's easy. We In, in America, we have a celebrity sort of uh, culture, even with pastors, right? Celebrity pastors, where we put people on a pedestal. And um, if you do that in relationship with these people, you know, very quickly, you're kind of put in the fan category. And it's really hard to get out of the fan category versus just treating somebody like, another human being. And so, man, those, those people are just like us. They, they um, you know, put put their pants on one, one leg at a time, as they say. But, you know, I I found that they've just gotten, most of them have gotten really, really good at probably one thing, right? And they just do that thing repeatedly over and over. Um, you know, Bob Goff, man, that guy, we had him in three of our four edX conferences that I was a part of. And I was getting some heat about oh, bringing Bob back again, but he was consistently our number one ranked speaker. And it's like, you know, Bob speaks a lot. He's written a couple books, but man, he is a phenomenal storyteller. And if you know anything about his story, you know, love does and his organization. I mean, a guys, just like he's omnipresent, but he is, um, I think perfected sort of the art of, uh, maybe not perfected, but come close. of just storytelling. And, And people just connect because he's real, he's sincere, he's motivated by love and everything that he does. And so whether it's somebody like that, you know, somebody like Tony Dungy, who's achieved as much as he has, won a Super Bowl, just his humility. I got to spend a couple hours on a plane ride with him. And he'll talk football because he's a polite man, but I think he wants to talk more about his wife and, you know, his 10 kids. They've adopted, I think, the majority of them. So seeing his humility um, and and just knowing, like, how he is so generous, you know, he could be making a lot of money um, on speaking engagements and that sort of thing. And and I'm sure maybe he does. But I also know he he donates um, all of those fees oftentimes to All Pro Dad, a charity that he's involved with. And so he's just very philanthropic, very charitable. Um, It's amazing to see somebody who – it's almost disarming how down-to-earth and humble he is when he could be a, a, a total jerk, you know, if he, if he wanted to, and people would probably still like him. But, so I think humility, and then just some of these folks who have just, um, back to the discipline thing, have really sort of perfected or honed in on kind of what some of their core strengths are, and then the way God's made them to be. Mm-hmm.
1: That's, that's huge. I'm reading a book right now, and actually, the author of this book is coming on our podcast soon, Jordan Rayner, the... Um, the master of one. And it's that idea, right? Of like, we're so spread out, but you know, the real experts or the real people we're talking about are those who've gotten really good at one thing, um, and so uh, that's just a huge principle, especially I think another one for millennials, right? Because it's like we try and be mastered at everything, and that's that's not that's not like that's not the the path I think to real excellence. You yeah. can't be excellent in in multiple things. It's
0: the, it's the hedgehog um, concept, right? Good, good, great, Jim Collins. It's like, man, if you're uh, trying to do seven different things, there's no, there's no way you're gonna get you know very good at any of those seven. And so being able to yeah. focus. Uh, and, and execute. Execution's big for me. Um, there's a lot of people that have big visions, but they're poor at execution. And I think uh, execution over a million great ideas is something that that I certainly prioritize.
1: Yeah. Guys, there's that's there's so many good nuggets we've dropped, especially for uh, folks who are just kind of getting started in their careers or just even stalling. Like, Go back and listen to, to some of this. Uh, so good. So I want to focus kind of on your story a little bit because... Um, you know, even before we started recording, we were talking about just some of the impact in the people that you're bringing together uh, there in the city of Indianapolis. And, you know, one of my heroes uh, is a guy by the name of William Wilberforce. There's a, a biography about him called Amazing Grace and just would highly, highly recommend that book to anybody. Um, and you threw his name out there kind of while we were discussing, and I thought that was so cool because... Uh, part of my vision, I think, and even understanding about how God could use me kind of in the secular world, you know, outside of ministry per se, uh, came from reading that book. And so why don't we start there? Like, tell me how William Wilberforce has been an impact in your life. Um, and then just kind of even how that's beginning to translate into your vision for how you're impacting Indianapolis.
0: Yeah. Yeah, so William Wilberforce is a guy that I'm not sure if I really knew his story until you know maybe five or six years ago, Ellis. And um, you know, for those who don't know, you know, he's credited back in the 1800s, really him and his network of friends with really abolishing slavery in Great Britain. And so, a man who is deeply motivated by his faith, I believe, came came to faith as an adult and. You know, came from certainly I think an upper class sort of background in Great Britain, but leveraged his his position of influence to do a ton of good during his lifetime, mm-hmm. and was just tireless. And in the initiatives that he and his network of friends undertook for uh, just a better society, a better a better culture, and, and contributing to the common good of Great Britain at, during that era of time, and so. I forget how I first heard about him five or six years ago, but studying his life uh, a little bit um, at at AFAR certainly was inspirational, just as I think about my own city of Indianapolis. And while it's a great city that's had a ton of growth and momentum over the last 40, 50 years, um, you know, as we are on the precipice of 2020, I think we still have a lot of big issues, big challenges, as any major city does, that face us, Um, equity and education, uh, you know, things like crime or, or infrastructure or racial reconciliation, or even how do we, how do we do a better job just branding the city, you know, in the way that a Nashville has or something like that. And so there's some probably more, um, external superficial things, but then some really deep rooted things. And so his, his example I think has motivated me in terms of how do we, um, Christian or otherwise just bring people together, um, People who are different faiths, different political parties, but represent all different spheres of society, um, so that we can really achieve some some monumental things that hopefully um, can make India a better city for all—not just the upper class or the middle class, but really for everybody. So that everyone has a better shot at a better life. Um, I think operating out of this abundance mentality versus a scarcity mentality is, is so critical, and so. Um, I get excited thinking about the next 30, 40, 50 years in Indianapolis and how do we build on our predecessors' work um, and my generation, kind of the, the 40 and under, 45 and under crowd, how do we kind of just carry the torch and, and come together? Because Indy's about a city of, I think if you take in the, the metropolitan area, the surrounding area, it's probably close to 2 million. So um, there's a lot of work, but I think it's a it's a market where there's some things that are definitely achievable versus a maybe a Chicago or New York. It might seem incredibly daunting just due to maybe the political nature of the city or just simply the scale or the size in India. I feel like there's a, maybe I'm, maybe I'm optimistic and naive, but I think there's a real opportunity to hopefully create some, some positive change for all people.
1: Yeah. How how are you doing that? Maybe for our listeners, like, I know we talked about people you're bringing together. Can you maybe speak specifically about, um, you know, how that vision is kind of taking on some feet?
0: Yeah, so a few years ago, when I was at Edge, I just kind of had, you know, I was leading this mentoring organization that was bringing people together. Again, more in these intergenerational uh, contexts. And so, you know, I, I've always been somebody that's been pretty intentional about my network and relationships, dating back to my Pacers, my time with the Pacers, because I got to meet so many great people in the city right out of school. And so I kind of, I looked around the city and I saw there was a number of annual events um, that some guys were leading that were, you know, in their 60s and 70s. And these are sort of the town fathers of Indianapolis, if you will. But um, most of the people at these events were on the back nine of their careers or their lives. And I was like, well, where's, where's sort of the... The under 40 version, right? Somebody that's uh, still on the front nine of their career, their life. And so kind of marinated on this idea for a couple of years, mentioned it to a few close buddies and as is often the case kind of with me, it's like, oh, a lot of energy, but I knew it would fall back on me in terms of making something go and and planning something because we all have our our day jobs and are busy. But um, a couple of years ago, I I took it to a, a close friend of mine who's about five years older. And, uh, he's got, he's a guy that leads a company here in the city and, um, it's just built a great sort of name reputation for himself. And I said, Hey man, I'm thinking about this idea, like a, a breakfast, maybe it's annually. I didn't have a name for it at the time. Now we call it the egg breakfast, but I'm like, my vision here is how do we bring together a diverse cross section of leaders from across the city? And, um, you know, not necessarily to do something right away with this group, but if you get a room full of. Doers, people that are doing things in their own lives, good things will come out of that, right? And yep. so, um, actually, just recently here, I know we're at the end of 2019, um, we held our, our third annual egg breakfast at about 70 guys that were all, um, from different spheres. So a lot of guys from business, but education, government, nonprofit, um, healthcare law, sports, media, hospitality ministry and philanthropy. I think I got everyone covered, but um, also also quite racially diverse, which doesn't happen overnight. You know, you got you to gotta build relationships with people who don't look like you. And so, I, you know, I don't know, probably a third of the room was racially diverse. And um, again, we're trying to be very intentional and thoughtful, yet at the same time, open-handed um, with wherever, you know, we're not trying to create a new organization or a board or anything out of this, but how do we start? In our 30s or even early 40s, start thinking about um, what the future of the city looks like. And this isn't us trying to forcefully take the mantle of leadership, but I think the more that we can start to breed these relationships and there's trust established, the quicker we'll be able to make things happen. You know, in the years to come and the decades to come. And so it's um, it's a pretty cool, pretty cool deal. Um, a lot of guys have gotten excited about it. You know, as we were getting going, we're like, all right, let's keep it the guys for now. If we add women, it's going to get really big, really fast. So that's kind of the conversation now is we have got this really good thing going and it's racially diverse. But now we think about gender diversity and, you know, women are essentially half the workforce. So If we want to do something bold and transformational, we need to be thinking about that. But again, this is just something we're doing in our spare time. <laughs> uh, and so, Right. It can quickly It seems
1: like you kind of you you naturally start to like anything you do begins to kinda of build, you know, and uh which is which is maybe a gift to kind of point out, uh maybe similar to me, that you naturally kind of start building communities wherever you go. <laughs> yeah, no
0: man, I appreciate that. It's certainly it's certainly uh how I think God probably hard- hardwired me. And I think when you know what your mm-hmm. gifts are, you know, you want to use them, right? Because to a lot of people, like this just feels natural to me. And to a lot of people, they're like, you know, how do you do it? And I'm like, what are you talking about? You know, it's just like, we all have our gifts. We all have our superpowers. And, um, so I think it's, I think it's important that we leverage those, uh, while we're here on earth. So
1: that's, I mean that right there, we could talk another 30 minutes on, right? Like I don't, people realize like that's, I mean, when I think about starting point, it's what is your superpower and how can you really leverage that for the glory of God? Um, I mean, that is, you know, one of the key things behind a Kingdom capitalist is that our superpower is building businesses, creating wealth. And we should do that with excellence because we know that's how we're going to we're going to 10x or tenfold our, our kingdom impact. Um, so that kind of transitioned us maybe uh, to, to the last thing I wanted to ask you about was just prolific in your role with with this new company kind of transitioning out of the nonprofit world and back into the for-profit world and um, we talked about kind of your gift of community building but and I'm not sure how that translates into prolific but we'd love to give you you know some time to just talk about that and um, you know the type of impact you're, you're creating there or how you're kind of seeing uh, your faith and work come together in that role.
0: Yeah so I appreciate you asking. I'm just a month, month and a half in with prolific, but it's uh it's really exciting what we're doing. We're a strategic growth and consulting firm. And so we 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 exist to help high vision, high values leaders who really want to make uh not just an impact in the world, but want to grow their their companies or their organizations from a revenue standpoint. And so while a lot of consultants might come at things from a cost cutting scenario, we really believe in kind of this notion of prolific, which is you know an abundant, generous world. And so how do we how do we maximize, help organizations maximize or optimize their revenues as well as their impact? So if you're a business leader and you're like, if you could wave the magic wand and say, here's where I wanna be five years from now, we come alongside your team and really help build that plan. So it's, hey, we wanna double or triple where we're at in revenue five years from now. We've done a number of these plans with with companies and nonprofits across the country that have helped kind of accelerate their growth and so it's about a six month uh deliverable process on the strategic plan side but it's um it's an incredible team they actually did our strategic plan when i was at edge so i got to be a client before i uh Mm -hmm. ever joined them but website's prolific.world if if listeners are curious and want to learn more but we work with folks really all over the country and just happen to be headquartered here in indianapolis
1: i'm really curious what i mean what's part of your process there like to you know if someone says i want to 5x my business in you know two years and you, it's like what what are, what you know you talk about the deliverable is that but what what is part of the process of that
0: yeah so good, good question so we start with uh about 90 days of research so we've got a team of researchers here data scientists that work with the client but before we deliver any sort of strategy or tactic it's all baked in research we're not guessing on any of this and so after the research kind of um of the of the plan we move into really developing a set of strategies and tactics for this five-year plan and so there's some different milestones check-in points with the client along the way to make sure we're not off base uh, and then there's an economic feasibility portion of the plan so pro forma this will be the CMOs or CFOs favorite part of the plan where we're not picking numbers out of thin air um, this is you
1: know these are
0: all kind of tested with the budgets that the organization has and then um, and then there's an op- operational integration piece. So how does this kind of get integrated into the company with the existing team, or if new hires are required? And then, and the fifth and final section is sort of timing and action. So we pull together a quarterly scorecard essentially for that five-year strategic growth plan. To say this is how it's going to get done uh, sequentially over the over the next five years.
1: Hmm. Uh, that's going to be really helpful. I think just I appreciate you breaking that down because. You know, as a business owner, as a business leader, it sounds really cool to think, oh, well, let me just hire, you know, a company like that. But at the same time, like, I kind of need to know what goes into that. You know, what how does that really break down? So thanks for sharing that. Um, okay, I know we're getting kind of towards the end of our time here, but, uh, and we've talked so much about so many good things. Um, man. So I think I just I, I kind of went into this way because you have, you know, I asked this question a lot. I got two questions for you, but let me ask this one first. I asked this question a lot on the podcast show, and especially with your experience, kind of working with millennials. Um, but I kind of want to put this back on yourself. If if you were one of those millennials coming into the workplace, right? And you know, you are twenty two, you are fresh, you know, you are young in your faith, or or you know, we're, but you are a man of faith, and you are kind of getting into the business world. What do you wish one of those advisors would have told you starting out? What would be some of the first pieces of advice that that you wish they would have told you?
0: I think it's so important in your twenties, and everyone wants to make money uh, in their careers, but more so than the money, find the best leaders that you can find and, and align yourself with them. If that's working for one, take that opportunity, even if it pays less, and obviously well, I might think someone's a great leader. You might not think they're a great leader. So there's some judgment uh, that's baked in there that's required. But your 20s are all about learning, I believe. Mm. And if you can be aligning yourself to the best leaders who have integrity, but who also have, have achieved at a high level, you will be so much better for it. I think your 30s become more about your your brand of who you are and what you're known for, what you're good at. That's when that really starts to be crystallized. And then your forties I think can be a time where you start to be in or those potentially peak earning years, you know? And so I think so many people are in such a rush and they want to make so much money or it's like, take your time. Twenties are for learning and making mistakes, figuring out what you like to do, what you don't like to do. And I think, um, being around somebody and, and the best leaders, mind you, that that doesn't mean it's going to be easy. Um, you know, I've worked with some great leaders who are very demanding, and it's it can be difficult at times and, and stressful. But I think you'll be better for it if you if you don't give up.
1: No, that's excellent advice. Yeah, I mean, focus, you always say focus on who, you know, in your 20s, not necessarily what, and I've benefited from that, just being part of a great ministry team for the last, you know, seven years now, um, you know, which really gave me a foundation for business, you know, now, I mean, I'm a full-time Kingdom capitalist, a real estate investor, and, you know, a private mastermind group, but spent the majority of my 20s working essentially as a missionary, you know, and. And the foundation I built to help me become a better business person was really learned in the nonprofit space, which is interesting, right? Because exactly what you do, I didn't know that advice. I think I just, I didn't, you know, I I didn't know that what I was doing at the time, but looking back that that's exactly, uh, you know, how that transpired in my own life. So I think that's an incredible word. Last question then, Dave, for you personally, what is the biggest struggle as a kingdom capitalist, you know, as a, as a, 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 a Christian leader in the marketplace. What what for you is the business uh, the greatest struggle right now?
0: Really good question. I think um you know what's the verse godliness with contentment is great gain and I think um when you're wired to to want to do things and and make an impact and grow, I think it's um learning to be content but not complacent and so mm. You know, yeah. there's patience in there, whether it relates to your career. I'm at a stage where I've got two young kids and I'm always going to have the drive to want to achieve, um, you know, speak Enneagram. If People are familiar with Enneagram. Well, I'm at three on the Enneagram. And so I think, it's, yeah, yeah, it doesn't, <laughs> doesn't shock me. Um, so I think learning yeah. just, to, just to prioritize, I think the professional stuff will evolve naturally. And I think sometimes you want to, drive towards certain outcomes or try to control things. And so really just, man, it's a struggle to want to relinquish that control um, and know that if I'm truly, you know, walking with the Lord and, and prioritizing my family over my work, like God's got it, you know? And I think we know that intellectually, we don't always live that. And so relinquishing control and learning to be content, that uh, there's a there's a bigger plan out there is is something that I'm that I struggle with and probably always will to some degree, but it's something I just need to be reminded of on a
1: on a continual basis. Yeah, excellent word, man. So many good nuggets in this podcast show. We're just gonna pull out all of those and create links and quotes and uh, Dave, man. Thank you, brother, for just spending the time to really encourage our listeners and share your story and uh, just kind of your experience in the way that is that can really shape us as Kingdom Capitalists. Um, you know, one of the things I always love to do before we end the show, normally when we start the show, but I think I forgot today, is just pray uh, and really ask God to kind of bless his time. And so I actually would love just to ask you to pray for us today, if that's okay, for our listeners.
0: Absolutely, man. Dear Father, just, uh, we come to you today, just thankful for divine appointments like this one with Ellis and, uh, the work that you've, you've called him to do through this Kingdom Capitalist Initiative. God, I pray that you would just bless him and his work, keep him, keep him anchored on you, keep him humble, and, um, may, may he just know that you, you control just his influence and his favor, and may he, uh, just draw closer to you through this work, God, and for everyone that's listening may uh they hopefully take something that was said today inspired by you and uh hopefully implement it or apply it back in their own lives we love you and, and thank you for the, the chance to just connect relationally uh today in his name amen
1: amen dave brother thanks so much for your town today man really you awesome. bet man
0: have fun we'll yeah. be touch. all right
1: All right. Hey, for everyone listening, please take a a moment now. As soon as the podcast ends, go and leave us a review. It really does help to bring on incredible guests like Dave. Um, Thanks again, guys. We'll see you next time. Bye. Hey, I hope you enjoyed this show today. If you want to learn more about our community, you're going to want to visit us at kingdomcapitalist.co. There you can find info on our private mastermind and even subscribe to our newsletter to get updates on new shows. And last but not least, land opportunities to get private trainings and coaching calls with the guests of this show. If you're enjoying this show, please take a minute to leave us a five-star review and also share this with a friend. We'll see you next time.